Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have another edition of the Bean Report. Also, we'll check in with a pair of local farmers and find out how the crops are coming along. Up first in today's country comment, we'll chat with co-CEO of Merit Functional Foods in Winnipeg, Ryan Bracken. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Yesterday, the federal government announced financing of close to $100 million for the new Merit Functional Foods plant in Winnipeg. Ryan Bracken is the company's co-CEO. Great, uh, great government of Canada has announced our, our project. It's been uh, you know, a long time in the making as far as um, uh, coming to bring this to culmination, but uh, the federal government has just announced today that they're Funding our project to just around $100 million in the form of, uh, of debt financing and, and, and various other programs, um, interest-free loan, and, and uh, also part of our grant from Protein Industry Canada. But effectively, uh, you know, a large supporter of our project. Um, we're in the middle of uh, building a 94,000-square-foot facility here in Winnipeg. Uh, we'll be processing uh, both canola and pea protein. Uh, and that product will be used as an ingredient in uh, another value-added uh, food manufacturer. So think of the largest uh, food beverage companies around the world, um, things like meat alternatives. So if you think of like a Beyond Meat uh, burger or sausage or things like that, they're so using plant proteins. Think of like dairy alternatives, uh, trying to fortify an almond milk or an oat milk or something like that to sim- similar standards as dairy milk, which... Um, you know, traditionally, uh, almond milks, no milks might have like one gram of protein per serving. Dairy milk has eight grams. You can use our proteins to fortify things like that. Of course, there's many, many different applications, of course, but uh, that's ultimately where our goal is: is to bring bring to market uh, something that's uni- and, and new, unique, and, and differentiated. And that's what that's exactly what we have to offer. This facility will be the first to um, produce food grade canola protein for human consumption. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, here in Western Canada, we uh, were a large, large producer of canola uh, as an oil seed. Uh, almost 20 million acres of canola is grown in Western Canada every year. About half of that right now is is, is processed in, into uh, canola oil and, and, uh, and various uh, oil refineries around uh, Western Canada. Uh, our starting material happens to be actually the uh, the, the canola seed cake uh, that's... that's uh, uh, left after uh, after expelling the oil from the uh, from the oil seed. Unfortunately for us, though, uh, we can't necessarily use that uh, that that seed cake from these various oil refineries in Western Canada because they're heating up the product too much. So we're in our in our in our process, we'll be actually um, starting off with canola seed and extracting the oil uh, in a cold press uh, uh, technology, uh, all done in house, and then we'll be uh, selling off that oil to, uh, to to various parties to to be used and and. Uh, consumer products and, and things like that and then the uh, the sea cake itself will be our starting material so essentially we're adding more value to the canola seed than is that what was otherwise being done right now um, right now it's essentially used for oil and then and then left leftovers is, is being fed to large animals in our case we'll be using it for the oil and then also adding further value by extracting the protein from that sea cake which is uh, which is just you know adding more revenue streams for for western Canadians now, give us a bit of an update on uh, construction um, and a timeline. You know, how are things going there? Yeah, uh, surprisingly well, uh, given obviously the uh, the challenges with respect to, to COVID-19. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing quite well here in Manitoba. We're, we're happy to be here. Uh, well underway in construction. Uh, Bird Construction is our, is our construction partner. 
we have uh, you know many 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 uh, construction workers on site. Um, we're well underway. Steel structures up. Uh, equipment is starting to go in. We're wrapping the building, and we fully have uh, you know full intentions of being complete by uh, November and and starting up the process in, in November December with uh, first project going out the door in December. Uh, you know late Q4. That was Ryan Bracken. He's the co-CEO with Merit Functional Foods in Winnipeg. Yesterday, the federal government announced financing of close to $100 million towards the company. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Keystone Agricultural Producers is commending the province on its review of Manitoba Forage Insurance. Here's CAP President Bill Campbell. Well, I think it's a really positive thing that has come uh, with the process and the review. The provincial government having the conversation about the shortcomings of the uh, forage insurance through MASC. So I think that this has been really positive, the engagement with producers and industry to see what the issues are of uh, why there's been such limited participation in the forage insurance program. Campbell says CAP is looking forward to the provincial government developing a livestock forage insurance team to help improve the effectiveness of the forage insurance program and support the growth of Manitoba's livestock sector. Merit Functional Foods is on pace to complete its new pea and canola processing facility by the end of the year. It was announced yesterday that the company will be receiving financing of close to $100 million from the federal government. Co-CEO Ryan Bracken said the Winnipeg plant will source 100% of its inputs from Canadian producers. Initially our target is to do, uh, you know, call it half the time on pea and half the time on canola. So we'll be using about 10,000 tons of pea and 17,000 tons of canola per year. That'll be producing, uh, you know, a significant quantity of of plant proteins. We've been uh, contracting already and we have uh, many contracts in place, both for our pea and canola. You know, obviously any interested parties we're willing to talk, looking for non-GMO canola and of course pea and and also looking for uh, potentially some organic pea as well. Merit Functional Foods will be the first facility in the world with the capability to produce food-grade canola protein ready and safe for human consumption. And Manitoba's Agriculture Minister has some good news for the province's ag societies. Here's Blaine Peterson. We have sent out checks to the ag societies. There's over 50 agricultural societies across Manitoba, including in the city of Winnipeg, giving them their infrastructure grants and their education grants. You know, events have been cancelled, as you very well know, and everybody knows our events have been cancelled, you know, the, the annual fairs and festivities and whatnot in communities all across the province. But there's ongoing work that uh, costs for these egg societies, so this is helping them um, handle their costs. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Tuesday, June 23rd. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen Vossler will talk about wild pigs and up first, we'll get a crop update from Manitoba. Today, we're checking in on the crops in Manitoba. Golden West reporter Barry Lamb spoke to Scott Pantel, who farms near Balder. We wrapped up there a couple weeks ago already. Did still a couple potholes here last week, but... uh, Got within, I'd say, 20 acres of where we're supposed to be anyway, so pretty well got her all. So. And how is emergence looking in your area? Uh, good. Um, yeah, no, it all came up good. Uh, could definitely, we got lots of subsoil moisture, but 
could definitely use a rain here just to soften the top again. We keep on missing the ball here. So, What about bugs? Uh, how, how have they been? Uh, yeah, uh, I had to spray uh, by, I don't know, 20% of the canola here. Mostly just spots that they came in from the sides there. But uh, otherwise, canola was growing fast enough. Seems like kept ahead of them there. So a few guys in the area had to spray for cutworms. That was... Uh, that was the big scene around here too. So, and how was your fall and spring? Uh, was it pretty wet out in your area, and did you have a real challenge getting that seed in the ground this this spring? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, lots, uh, lots of frost. Was the low spot, the lowland was drier than than we figured, but it was like the side of the knoll and stuff. We were getting stuck multiple times. I think we were close to thirty times. We got stuck between uh, every piece of equipment here. So. But as you said, uh, time for a little bit of moisture, that wouldn't hurt? No, no, it wouldn't. Not much, but uh, at least a half inch, a quarter of an inch or something else. That was Balder area farmer Scott Pantel. Hail was reported in southern Manitoba over the weekend. Dean Harder farms near Low Farm. Yeah, the hail, it was like, it was kind of like gravel coming down, (laughs) gravel pellets coming down. Uh, It was happening for about... uh, 15 to 20 minutes or so and uh yeah it came real fast and it lasted yeah and then it was around for a little while so it was really interesting kind of came out of nowhere i wasn't expecting it you know the damage is going to vary like uh i mean it's not looking right now like any of the grains that it's it's caused any damage to more more concerned about crops like canola some of the canola is doing just fine and uh other areas they're going to definitely going to be claiming some hail insurance uh, so it really varies in terms of how the stage of the crop and where it was at um, and where you were and how much came down in your area and how heavy it was. So it, it, it certainly varied, but some guys are going to be making some uh, some claims for sure. Was it a large area that was hit by the hill? Uh, like large enough because it goes from Low Farm. We're at Low Farm. There was some at Sewell. Uh, I'm not sure. It was very closer to Kane. So, yeah, within a... You know, within a 10, 10 mile diameter, you can it, it hit hit a certain area, right. and there was heavy rains with it. How much rain did you get? Uh, right here, we're looking at about an inch and a half. You know, on top of the rains that we received, um, you know, uh, two weeks ago. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the the crops are, are are bearing it right now, and some are loving it. Uh, but, you know, it looks like we've got what we need for a little while, that's for sure. As far as the hail, would you say it was like golf ball size or a little bit smaller? Or No, it wasn't golf no. ball. It wasn't even ping pong ball. Right. So it was more like it was more, more like gravel. Right, like palettes. marble maybe, something like that. Yeah. yeah, maybe marbles. Yeah, it varied in right. size. Some were really small as well. Right. So oh. it, it was it was crazy. It was like a snow and out of nowhere. That was Dean Harder, a farmer near Low Farm, Manitoba. Wild pigs can cause a lot of damage. Dr. Ryan Brooks from the University of Saskatchewan is known for his work and efforts in monitoring and tracking wild pigs. On Monday, his webinar with the Saskatchewan Prairie Conservation Action Plan attracted over 200 people, including our own Glendalee Allen Vossler. He started his presentation by focusing in on a little of the history of wild pigs. Wild pigs uh, are not native to North America. 
but they were introduced probably on the order of 500 years ago in the southern U.S. and only starting really in the 80s and into the 90s here in uh, Saskatchewan and across Canada. All of the provinces at least dabbled in raising these, and this was a big push to diversify agriculture, that we were going to get away from conventional, you know, chickens and cows and wheat to other things to uh, emu to, I think there was a few caribou farms. I know somebody at least that tried to farm moose, uh, but wild boar were high on the list as well as an opportunity to, in, in two cases, for, for meat, more conventional meat farms, and also these high fence shoot operations where you can go in and shoot one yourself and weigh it and pay by the pound, which we still do have here in Saskatchewan and Alberta, Quebec, a few provinces have kept that up as well. But unfortunately, the, the sort of the background to this was that they went over, under and through fences and uh, started to escape. And unfortunately, that the market never really took off. And so it really peaked in 2001. And after that, we saw a real sharp decline in, in farming of these, although we still do have meat farms in Canada across many provinces, including the Yukon and the, these pen shoot operations. One of the most commonly asked questions is what kind of numbers we see in Canada. He notes that we don't have any good data on population size and density. That's hard to really gather. However, he and his team continue to work on monitoring animals and tracking their movement. Our research has really been looking at the movements of them through GPS collars over five years. Uh, and one of the core efforts of our work starting in 2010 and going forward who knows how far uh, is tracking the distribution of these. And so looking at occupancy of sites across all of Canada, certainly the, the Western Canadian prairies have the overwhelming majority of wild pigs. But one of our core goals from the beginning was to develop a map of Canada and track that spread of wild pigs. And again, this is very, very consistent with their biology anywhere else in the world. And so when we talk about animals getting out into the wild, uh, you know, my colleagues anywhere else around the world, Australia has many, you know, over 10 million wild pigs. The U.S. has certainly many millions. Texas alone, which is almost the exact same size as Saskatchewan, has on the order of two or three something in there million pigs. And so what pigs do really, really well is they're the most successful large mammal invasive species on earth. And so they reproduce at alarming rates. So here in Saskatchewan, they have six young per litter, uh, multiple litters per year, and they thrive on any kind of food in almost any kind of habitat. Individuals that are interested in learning more about wild pigs and seeing Dr. Brooks' presentation can check out the Saskatchewan Prairie Conservation Action Plan website. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Bossler. Thanks, Glendalee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwestradio.com. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Egg Wire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Verified Beef Production Plus webinars take place every Tuesday night starting at 7 o'clock. You can email verifiedbeefmanitoba at gmail.com. The official Manitoba Hunter Safety Course is available online. Visit huntercourse.com to register. 
And Keystone Agricultural Producers is hosting a webinar on recognizing and responding to people at risk for suicide on June 26th starting at noon. Visit the CAP website to register. It's time now for the Bean Reports brought to you by Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. Joining us today is Production Specialist Laura Schmidt. Laura, give us a bit of an update on how the crops are looking. So soybeans range from the unifoliate stage in later seeded fields to the fourth trifoliate and will be starting to flower with the change in day length. We're starting to see some symptoms of IDC pop up and dry beans are ranging from the unifoliate to third trifoliate stage. Over the weekend, we saw some hail and some rain in parts of the province. At the current soybean stage of V2 to V3, leaf defoliation from hail damage will likely have minimal influence on yield, while stem breakage can be a bit more severe. We've also been seeing symptoms of root rot and seedling disease. In your fields, look for a yellow or dying plant. Dig up and inspect the roots for discoloration, pinching, or rotten appearance. For field peas, earlier seeded fields are at the 10th to 12th node stage and are beginning to flower, while those planted later are around the 7th to 9th node stages. Faba beans have started flowering, ranging from the 6th to 8th node stage. As peas move into flowering, there are a few things to add to your scouting checklist. Now is a good time to assess nodulation to make sure it will carry you through pod fill and to monitor for pea aphids and scout for microsphorilla or ascochyta blight to help make those fungicide decisions. Talking about fungicide, what's important when uh, making those decisions um, regarding field peas? Scouting for microsphorilla or ascochyta blight in peas should occur from the 10th node stage to beginning bloom or R2. Symptoms start at the lower leaves and look like purplish lesions that start as irregular flecks and then they may develop into these concentric rings. Cool, wet weather favors this disease development. Early fungicide timing for peas is at R2 when flowers are open at one or more nodes on the plant. Um, We have a fungicide decision checklist available in this week's bean report that can be used in your fields to assess the risk of disease development, and it can help make a decision if foliar fungicide application will be beneficial or economical in that field. Um, Things to consider include the characteristics of the crop canopy, leaf wetness and humidity, the five-day forecast, as well as how many plants are already symptomatic. Now, when it comes to assessing uh, pea nodulation, what's important there? So there we're looking at the flower bud stage, or R1. It's a good time to take a look at the nodulation in your field peas. Pea nodules branch out as they develop and are kind of globular in structure, so we use a rating scale to assess nodulation instead of targeting a nodule number like we do in soybeans. At a few locations in the field, we start by digging up 5 to 10 plants, being very careful when removing the soil, as the nodules on the lateral roots can easily be stripped off with the soil when you're cleaning. Um, And the rating scale, it's available on our website and in this bean report. Um, But essentially, what we're looking for is green and vigorous plant growth above ground. And then below ground, we want to note the nodule location, color, and number of clusters. Ideally, for effective nodulation, we want three to five clusters or more of reddish-pink nodules that are actively fixing nitrogen located on both the crown and lateral roots. And that's how we kind of have a gauge on efficient nodulation in field peas. Thanks, Laura. Laura Schmidt is a production specialist with Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. The Bean Report is brought to you by Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. You can find out more at manitobapulse.ca. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Roquette's new pea processing facility near Portage is expected to be operational by the end of the year. Here's Dominique Bowman, Managing Director of Roquette in Canada. Planning to start at the plant end of the year, so uh, first quarter of 2020. So we're in full construction. We never stop uh, construction despite the challenges with uh, COVID-19. 
The teams responded very well. Engineering has been done since March. Roquette is part of a $19.2 million research project to enhance pea and fava bean processing on the prairies. It was announced yesterday that Winnipeg's Merit Functional Foods will be receiving financing of close to $100 million from the federal government. The company is constructing a 94,000-square-foot facility to process both pea and canola protein. Here's co-CEO Ryan Bracken. We're well underway, steel structures up, uh, equipment is starting to go in, we're wrapping the building and we fully have uh, you know, full intentions of being complete by uh, November and, and starting up the process in, in November, December with uh, first product going out the door in December, uh, you know, late Q4. Merit will source 100% of its inputs from Canadian producers with projections to use 10,000 metric tons of yellow peas and 17,000 tons of canola seed in its first year. And Keystone Agricultural Producers hopes a recent review will help increase participation in the province's forage insurance program. Here's CAP President Bill Campbell. We need to be able to find new ways to ensure that there is coverage. We need to possibly utilize uh, some of the most up-to-date technology that is available through satellite imagery and uh, precipitation and because we all understand that forage production is highly correlated to precipitation. And so if we can use some of those models to help uh, determine the limits of forage production would be very beneficial for the insurance component of it. Campbell says CAP is looking forward to the provincial government developing a livestock forage insurance team to help improve the effectiveness of the forage insurance program and support the growth of Manitoba's livestock sector. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwestradio.com. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.